0: we are in my favorite chapter of scripture ever. So turn to Ephesians chapter four. While you're turning there, let me go ahead and give you the, the title of this sermon and the sermon in the sentence, which may not make sense here for about 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes, depending on how ADD I get. The title of this sermon is Furnished. Furnished. Everybody say furnished. furnished. Wake up, wake up, come on. And here's my sermon in the sentence. If your house is empty, this is a question, actually, a question, sermon and a question. If your house is empty, where will the Holy Spirit sit? If your house is empty, where's the Holy Spirit going to sit? Okay, furnished. If your house is empty, where's the Holy, the Holy Spirit going to sit? So we're continuing in our study through the book of Ephesians. Tonight, I want us to start at verse 11. So go ahead and turn specifically to that spot. Again, before we dive in, let me just say that um, I personally believe that what Paul says in these next few scriptures that we're going to look at tonight here in Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the most important things for the elders, leaders, and members of any church, any local body to hear. Super important. For not just for them to hear but for them to understand. Last week, we looked at what Paul opened the chapter with, chapter 4 with. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. And if you'll remember, my sermon in the sentence, the good one, the one that didn't offend anybody, the one that offended people was, the video kills the radio star. How many of you are here for that? Okay. You like that? Okay. Next week, I might bring out some you too. You never know what happened. But my alternative sermon in the sentence was, Living a life worthy of Christ requires quality that is unquestionable, okay? The life that we uh, live will be called into question. You've got to hear me. This is important. The life that that we live on this earth will be called into question by Jesus. We know that, right? On the day of judgment. Jesus said, many will come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not cast out demons and perform miracles? And he says, I will tell them plainly, simply, simply put, I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Some of your translations say you workers of lawlessness. He's talking about a people that seem to have a connection with God, but in reality, in the end, literally, there was no connection at all. Um, Paul described this type of a person to Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says that they have a form of godliness. You guys are familiar with that? They had a form of godliness, but really what they're, they've done is they've denied is power and he says that you should actually avoid people like that have nothing to do with such people so jesus said i never knew you on that day, I, I never knew you. And you think about that word new, we know that, that that's a word that was used a lot of times for a deeper, intimate relationship. So you think new, you think relationship. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Last week, I, I, my whole sermon was basically I li- a life lived worthy of the calling requires a quality relationship with God, a quality relationship with His church, and then a quality, quality relationship. With the world. And you have to go back and and listen to that to get the full picture. But tonight I want to take that second point, a quality relationship with his church. And I want to take it a little further because Paul does. Paul goes on and he says more about this. In fact, let me just say this. One of the greatest, everybody looking at me? One of the greatest measurables, one of the greatest relationship measurables that God uses as a point of reference in our lives okay, as he judges, as he watches, one of the, the greatest relationship measurables in our lives is his church. Now, you have to hear me. His church. And I'm talking about the church at large, the church universal, the church across the globe. But I'm also talking about, obviously, and, and, and insert this here for tonight, the local church. Because the local church, One that's submitted to the Holy Spirit is what God uses to increase the qualities that He's looking for in its members. Did you hear that? Should I repeat that? A local church, the local church, one that's submitted to the Holy Spirit, is what God uses to increase the very qualities that He's looking for in a relationship with Him in its members. This is huge, this is important. Jesus will call us in the way that we lived out on that day, on the day of judgment. Okay, but listen, he delegates authority to men who are gifted to call into question our lives every day. If you think about it, he's going to call us into question on that day. But the design, his design is that we are called into question every day. And that can certainly be. By anybody other, you know, church leaders, my wife calls me into question all the time, you know, and I probably ought to start calling her into question, you know, but I don't. I'm kidding. Look what Paul says. Look, let's look at verse 11 and then we'll, we'll, we'll um, extract some things. Paul says, and he gave some, I hate to stop this soon after only three words, but let me, let me give you some. Some insight into those three. He is Jesus. Everybody say, he is Jesus. Okay. Gave. Everybody say, gave. Listen, what he's saying that Jesus gave are wonderful gifts of leadership to his body. Okay. And the psalm that he's talking about are men and women. Okay. Let me just clarify that. Men and women. He gave. Men and women, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teach uh, let me read that again, some as apostles, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. now some people call this the five fold ministry because there 's five things listed, other people feel like there are only four roles roles because there 's not a sum before teacher. you guys saw that there 's some apostles, some Uh, Prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So some believe that there's only four, that pastors and teachers is actually one or uh, uh, two roles in one. That is so there's for it. To me, it doesn't matter. I don't think there's a whole lot of significance in that. So however you want to look at it is just fine with me. I am not actually going to take the time to, to dive into these, uh, these roles right here. It's something you can very easily do on your own, but I do want to give you these simple definitions that I found this week. A simple definition of apostle is a dream awakener. Oh, my goodness. A simple definition of a prophet, a heart revealer. Simple definition of an evangelist, a storyteller. What story does an evangelist tell? The gospel, the good news. Amen? Oh, really? Amen? Amen? Come on, people, this is way better than the amens I'm getting. And I'm not just saying that because I need you to do it, but because you should be doing it. This is good. Ow. (laughs) Listen, apostles, dream awakeners. Prophets are heart revealers. Evangelists are storytellers, pastors, I love this, soul healers. And teachers are light givers. Scripture says that the truth is the light. That's why we lift this up every week to let our lights shine. Amen. I really like these descriptions, and these are these are gifts that God graciously gave to His body. These aren't. These aren't the only gifts. If you look in Scripture, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you look at Romans chapter 12, he lists other gifts. Uh, Some of them are similar, um, but there's all kinds of gifts. In fact, if you look a little bit earlier here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He just went from talking about what we all have in common, right? He says one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, okay? He's talking about what we all have in common, but then he begins to point out what every one of us as individuals, the roles and the responsibilities that we have before God by God's design. The only difference is here in Ephesians chapter four because of a greater point that he's making He brings up key leadership roles and giftings that are meant to help everyone else discover what gift Christ may have graced them with. You follow? Can I just tell you that I've, I've been on this earth almost 43 years, okay, 43 years in May. And I can honestly say that I have not found anything more fulfilling in these last 43 years than discovering the gifts that God put in me to share with the body of Christ and to serve the body of Christ. I haven't. And listen, I got saved when I was 19, okay? And really started coming towards the Lord when I was 17. Listen, at 17, I could run a 430 mile, okay? I could kick the apple off of someone's head. You might say, well, why would you want to do that? The point is, I could kick. Okay, I was on, I was, my heart's desire was to be a Navy SEAL. That was the kind of person that I was, okay? I was really into all of that kind of stuff. Of course, granted, I wasn't a very good swimmer, so I don't know how, was, how this was going to work. But that's what I, you know, I, my point is, is I wasn't lacking in accomplishment, okay? I wasn't needing some sort of fulfillment in personal ab- abilities. I had some. I had things that I could, uh, you know, um, cling to, okay? But then, my junior year, just the summer before my senior year, I was out with some friends doing stuff. And those friends were musicians, and they had their drums, and they had their guitars, and they had their bass, and I was just there, you know, just be there doing stuff. And they started playing a Bon Jovi song, you know, and I started singing it, you know. Oh, we're halfway there living on a prayer. It's kind of a spiritual song if you really think about it. And one of the guys, my friends turned to me and they said, hey, you can sing pretty good. I was like, oh, really? You know, had my mullet, my earring. They said, would you want to be the lead singer for our band? I was like, dude, yeah. And so we started practicing and we were terrible. Um, But, whoa, there was a shift in my life and all of a sudden I can sing. And then it hit me. My whole family is musical. All of my family sings. All of my uncles sing. They all play guitars. They were in a band together. What have I been thinking all these years? And my heart started. I wasn't even a believer yet. This is right before I started um, hanging out with Melissa and she started sharing the gospel with me. Before I was even saved, an introduction to that different part of me made me come alive. You hear what I'm saying? And then, of course, I did get saved, and Melissa and I started getting involved in church. Started playing on worship teams, and eventually started leading worship. And I was probably just going through the motions because I was learning, and I, you know, I was concentrating so much on the stuff I was doing, you know, rather than what was going on by the Spirit in the room and all those kinds of things. But I remember being in Bible school, and by then I was I was doing okay at, le- at leading, you know, and I was leading for one of our sessions. It's in the morning time, and I can remember. I mean, I can literally visualize it. You know, there's I don't know four, thirty or forty, um, maybe fifty. I don't remember how many people were in my class, and uh, we were doing something special that day. And they asked if I would lead worship, and I, I led worship. And afterwards, there was a lady that came to me. She was an older lady, and uh, you know she she was like in her forties, and um, and I was in my I was like twenty two. You know, so I thought, wow, this lady can actually walk. And anyway but she came up to me and she said I just want you to know when you were leading worship I saw this light from the back of the room just come and beam down on you I was like whoa and she said and then I saw what was like oil coming and um, flooding all the people in the room and the Lord showed me that it was healing His healing. I was like, whoa. And then I noticed she had a smudge on her glasses. And I thought, wow, she's probably (laughs) just seeing something through the smudge, you know. But there was something that was awakened in me. She was able to see something. There was something in her that God showed her. And then for years and years and years, I led worship. I led worship for churches and on staff and doing all kinds of stuff. But then one time, uh, soon after that, I was asked to be a, a Youth pastor, Melissa, and I were invited to be youth pastors. And I'm like, wow. We had worked with youth, but I'd never taught the Bible, barely read the Bible. But we were given the opportunity. I said yes. And over the next seven years, realized, oh, I'm not just a musician. And I began discovering that I'm a pastor and a teacher. Amazing. I still did some worship, but I'm telling you, the way that you come alive when you start discovering those things, you know, and then I was totally blown away and blessed and encouraged when we realized that there was an apostolic component to the ministry that God had planned for us. When we planted Soma Church, nowhere on our radar. Some of you guys heard some of that stories, some of that um, story at the ten year reunion, you know. And then you guys have heard me say many times that Melissa and I are where we are. We do what we do because we just kept saying sure. <laughs> you guys know what I mean? Just kept saying sure, sure. We'll do that. We'll do that. We'll do this. We'll do that. But listen to me. What? What if we had nothing to say share to? Hear what I'm saying? What if nobody was asking? What if there had not been people in our lives who were storytellers? Who were heart revealers and light givers, dream awakeners? If you were here at the 10 year, you, you, you remember me introducing Don and, and Sherry Crumb, the one that that you know planted the idea in us the ones that became dream awakeners for us on May 9th, 2006. What if they just decided that day not to be who God had called them to be? I don't know, but I'm sure glad that, that day someone was in the in the flow of awakening dreams. Paul says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the works of service, some of your translations may say the works of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, were to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, Let's just be honest. How many believers, how many Christians sitting in the churches, in the pews, really are very concerned, if concerned at all, about things like the works of service, works of ministry? How many people are really concerned about the building up of the body? How many people are concerned about attaining to the unity of the faith? Who's thinking about that? You know, who wakes up thinking I'm a, or who thinks about it at all? Who's thinking about becoming a mature man of God or woman of God, attaining to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ? Who's thinking about that? I'll be honest, not a whole lot. Okay, you with me? But look what he says in verse 14. As a result We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He's saying as a result of caring about these things that I just declared as true that very few people are actually thinking about them, as a result of caring about those things, we are not people who were tossed around by weird, unbiblical ideas, right? Tricked and thrown off course, deceived by People who were sowing lies into our hearts, lies into our minds. Okay? It stands to reason, I was reading this today, it stood to, or this, earlier this week, it stands to reason that if caring about those things keeps us from being tossed around and deceived, then not caring about those things makes us vulnerable. Isn't that true? It makes us susceptible makes us easy targets to be deceived. And there's a whole book dedicated to this, this whole idea, dedicated to warning God's people about those who scheme ways to deceive the saints. It's the book of Jude. It's only one chapter, but you read it. And you don't have to turn there, but let me just read this because, because we need this portion of scripture before we go much further. You ready? The book of Jude, starting in verse 25, I believe, or 17 rather, says, but you, my dear friends, I love it, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in the most holy faith. Does this verbiage sound familiar? You must build each other up in the most holy faith, uh, faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, rescue others, snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but listen, listen to what he says, but do so with great caution hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away (laughs) and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, authority are his before all time and in the present time and beyond all time. This is an important piece of scripture, isn't it? Wow. So those, these are those who have set out, which he's talking about people who have set out to cause division and chaos and to deceive the saints in the church, okay? Uh, Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, Jude says, we've got to build each other up so that this won't happen, so that we won't be deceived. And he says, do this and you will keep yourself in God's love. That's not saying that you will keep God loving you. That's not the thing. You will keep yourself in God's love. You guys see the difference? There's a big difference. Be careful as you, he says, be careful as you help those who are wavering in their faith, lest your desires become what their desires are. In other words, their sin desires become yours. You would, you're, you're so close to it. You're not cautious and all of a sudden you get caught up and wrapped up in the things that they're doing and get drugged along. How many of you have seen it happen? It happens. It's happened to some of us. And he says, this kind of intentionality puts you close to God's, his very words, who is able to keep you from falling away. Remember, Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. And you're saying, you, you, wanna, you want Jesus to say, I knew this guy. If there's no prevailing desire in you to care about, you know, the unity and the faith and measuring up to the full measure of the stature of those who of, of Jesus Christ the measure of Jesus Christ if there's nothing in you that has a desire to walk as someone who exudes the fullness of Christ listen to me surely there is at least a concern about whether or not you exit this life in right standing with God surely at the end of the day I don't know some works of ministry I don't know oh wait what hell eternal separation. That one gets our attention, right? That's the one that gets our, like burning, gnashing of teeth, screaming, right? Horns, tails, pitchforks. That gets our attention. If the others don't, that one usually does. And that may jack with your theology. And honestly, it jacks with mine a little bit. But this is what it says. Jude is very concerned about his dear friends becoming built up believers. Mature sheep who, Not only can spot a wolf, but can protect their friends and fellow sheep from the wolves. So what he's saying, whole book designated to it, Jude. And this is essentially what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, the works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we won't be tossed around and be people who have a form of godliness but are just denying the power therein. And we become people that Christians are supposed to avoid. (laughs) Okay, so, so how do I... Become a saint. You may be asking yourself, you're hearing this and you're already like, whoa, this didn't sound good. How do I become a saint who isn't tossed around? How do I become a saint who isn't possessing just a form of godliness? A saint that's denying the power of God. How do I become a believer that's growing in the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Jesus Christ. First of all, let me say this. Remember what I said earlier. One of the greatest relationship measurables that God uses to, as a point of reference in our lives is His church. Okay? So the first thing you, you have to have, and, and I know there's people visiting here and, and some visiting from out of town, and you have churches, or maybe, you're, you, maybe you don't have a church wherever you come from. But let me tell you, that's where it starts. If you don't have a church, you know, I don't even know what's going to happen for you. Because one of the measurables, relationship uh, measurables, remember we said he uses the church to develop the very things that he's looking for in the members of the church. It's just the way it is. It's by his design. Okay. So you have to belong to a church, but listen, you have to belong to a church that is committed to the calling of the church, not hints at it, not has it on their billboard sign or on their website, on their vision statement page. But one that you can tell is truly committed to the calling of the church. You guys understand what I'm saying? Huge importance. So if you're here and you're part of the church, hopefully we resemble that. You know what I mean? But if you're not and you're looking for a church or you're from out of town visiting, make sure that that's the church that you belong to, especially if you're looking for one. Interview them, interview that church. You ask them questions. Talk to other people. Don't let them just interview you. How much money do you make? What kind of car do you drive? Where you want to sit, you know, you interview them. Tell me about your church government. Tell me about how you disciple people. Tell me about how you connect. How how do you do missions? You guys hear what I'm saying? You ask questions. It's important. Huge, huge. Oh, sorry, that was loud. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the works of service, the works of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, how do you know if that church is committed to its calling? How, how, how can you tell? How do you know? We're gonna focus in on one word, okay? So look down at your page, Ephesians chapter four, verse 12, it says the equipping of the saints, that word equipping. Some of your versions may, might say the perfecting of the saints, Okay and th- and that's okay because the Greek word is actually it's I won't try to pronounce it but here's what it means perfecting it means perfecting but it also means complete furnishing <laughs> I love this isn't that good complete furnishing making sure it's completely furnished not halfway furnished but there is a lamp in that corner where the light is dull there is a bed in that bedroom you don't have to sleep on the floor you guys picking up what I'm laying down that's what it means Perfecting a complete furnishing—it comes from a word that means to fit or to outfit or to make something sound. Okay, I love this. Okay, so I want you to think about this. In First Peter two five, we reference this scripture all the time. God, it says that God is building us into a spiritual house. You guys see that? In First Corinthians two chapter five, it says that we are being built up into a spiritual house. That God is doing that. We are being built up as a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, we know what it says. That we are a this, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6.19 says the Holy Spirit lives in this house. So think about that. God is building us up into a spiritual house. The Holy Spirit's gonna abide in that house. He's gonna live there. Who's the one that furnishes it? It's the church. By way of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads and anoints and does that, but it's the church that is outfitting this house this house this house right here this is a temple of the holy spirit and paul says paul says that there have been gifts given to men and women for the purpose of making sure this house is fully furnished you guys see that remember what we said if your house is empty where's the holy spirit going to sit The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives accomplishing the work of God and the works of Christ in our lives, right? uh, He does that by by working in us and through us. But if we don't know what, what our giftings are or what we're supposed to be doing or we don't care, then that's not happening. And God's like, well, that's not what I had in mind when I designed that house, I, I put the window measurements right over there because I was thinking the couch would go there. <laughs> you guys hear what I'm saying? I remember one time, Melissa and I, when we first got married, we were so poor. We were so poor, there wasn't even an O and an R at the end. It was just Poe. We were Po, And we had a little jar when our life groups would come over and people would come over. We're like, we're going to take advantage of this. We had a couch fund. And it said, big old pickle jar, and it said couch fund. Remember that? And we just let, we put into it too. So we weren't just, you know, so people would put in, oh, you got a couch fund. Oh, we'll help you with that. And we eventually got that couch, right? And then we eventually gave that, gave that couch away. But then we bought another couch. I don't know why I'm telling this story. It's not my notes. But we bought another couch. We were talking about this just the other day, about how we have a couch in our house that is so old. We bought it 16 years ago. Okay, this brown couch. And she, said, she was like, we can't get rid of that couch. We were talking about how anointed that couch is because we've done so much marriage counseling on that couch. We've done all kinds of ministry on that couch. We've, you know, I've probably slept on that couch with a baby on my bare chest you know, hundreds of times on that couch. I remember when we got that couch, the first week we got that couch, we, had teen, we were youth pastors at the time, and there was a kid named Gus. <laughs> Gus was not raised well. Because he came into my house, and the first thing he did was a cannonball on that couch. And you just heard the... <clears> that <throat> couch was never the same. That's the first way we got it it still kind of has this little weird rock to it in a certain spot where Gus's cheeks bore down. Oh, you remember that? Anyway, we still got that couch. We were talking about how we're going to get a new couch, but that couch is not going anywhere because, because God used that couch, and we used that couch. There's an anointing on that couch. That couch is going to go in my office when we get a new couch. You hear what I'm saying? But listen, God wants, God has couches and chairs and end tables and, and whatever. Fill in the blanks. Some of you that like all that decorating stuff, think about it. All those things are necessary. That's why you're over, always over at the stores buying stuff. If your house is empty, where would the Holy Spirit sit? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a few things really quick. This is really quick because this isn't rocket science. It really isn't. How to furnish the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? I'm just going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to retell you, and then I'm going to f- tell you one more time. Three words. Encourage, equip, and empower. You're looking for a church that's committed to its calling? Let me ask you something. Are they encouraging? Do they equip? Do they empower? By encourage, I mean that they tell you, you can do this. In fact, they come up to you and say, hey, have you ever thought about this? That's what happened to us. People say, hey, would you, would you consider doing this? Have you, have you ever thought about doing this? Sure. <laughs> we didn't know not to say no. I think about how many times I have, I've seen something in someone. And, and I say, you know what? I, I think you should try this. I really see this in you. Maybe it's a gifting. Maybe it's a particular anointing or whatever. You need to, I think you would you be willing to try this? And you know what sometimes people say? Oh, I could never do that. It's like, really? I think you could do that. And what do you do? You encourage them. What does the word encourage mean? It means to put courage in. I get that some people are a a little afraid, but you put courage. Is your church putting courage in you? Are they, are they seeing something in you giving you opportunities or, 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 you know, coming to you and saying, Hey, or your small group leader or someone around you encouraging you putting courage in you. Are you being told hey you can do that? Because encouragement is part of the building up process. Paul says in first Thessalonians, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. I mean, they're right there in the same sentence. It's right there. Just as you're also doing, encourage one another and build one another up. And and listen, I read Hebrews 10 all the time. But look, I'll read it again. Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards good deeds and love. Let us consider how, like that's something the church, not just the elders or the leaders, but every member. How can I spur someone on? How can I put courage in someone to go do some good deed in love? How can I do that? That's so what we're supposed to be thinking about. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Oh, that's why. Because they're not meeting together. Nobody's putting courage in them. And they're not putting courage in anyone else. As some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And, and this is, I think this is interesting, interesting, especially as we're relating it to tonight. And all the more, as you see the day approaching... You think about Timothy, and I'll try to do this really quick, but you think about Timothy was, was probably Paul's greatest disciple. And you think about, I don't have time to go through all the track of his life, but he, he tracked with all of these. One time he said, he told Timothy, don't neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy. A prophet prophesied, hey, brother, there's an anointing on your life. I believe that there's something in you that will be used in a great way or whatever. He said, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. It was something that the church did. Here's a question. I want you to write this down. Because encouragement is a huge part of it. But are you encourageable? I don't even know if that particular word is a word. But are you encouragable? Can you be encouraged? <laughs> no, man, I, I just couldn't do that. No, I'm good for nothing. My daddy told me I'll never amount to anything, and I'm sticking with that. <laughs> it's like, really? I'm sorry he said that, but don't hang on to that. Stop letting people cut in line, buddy. Are you encouragable? Will you let someone encourage you? Be encouragable. encourageable. The next one is equip, remember? what does that mean? It just means to be trained with the right tools. It's about training. It's about equipping. It's about training. Remember what Paul told Timothy, again, one of his greatest disciples. He says, you've got to be faithful. Remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Timothy was trained. He traveled with Paul. You know, they, he says, you know, they are true for, you know, who, you know, that you can trust those who taught you. Equipping. Listen, you know, equipping is a difficult one because there's so many things that you could be equipped for. But the bottom line equipping is always the word. The word, worship, being encouraged, challenged, rebuked even if necessary to um, put aside the deeds of the flesh and cling to the spirit. There's all kinds of equipping. And let me ask you this, or actually you ask yourself this, am I incorrigible? It's a different word. This one actually, I think, is in the dictionary. Am I incorrigible? You know what incorrigible means? You can't be taught anything. It, ain't, it doesn't matter what they say, you ain't gonna change. They can't sew into you. Why? Because you're incorrigible. God's heart is to equip you to put the right tools and training in your hand, but you're incorrigible. Another way to say that is you're not teachable. Are you teachable? Am I teachable? Ask yourself, am I teachable? You know, the character of teachability is the greatest asset to a human being. Can I say that? The character of teachability is the greatest asset to a human, be- a human being because we're capable of so much. But are we encourageable? I'll let the Lord deal with you on that if you are. The third thing is to empower. Encourage someone. If they say, yes, I think I'll try that, then you equip them. Give them the tools. Do everything within your power to get them ready for whatever that is. But at some point, you've got to let them go. You've got to release them. You've got to empower them. You have to either give them an opportunity or look for them an opportunity, or if they come to you with an opportunity, you've got to say, yes, this is the time, just like Paul did. First Timothy 1, 3 and 4, and then later in 18, I'm going to read all this together. He says, as I urged you on my departure to Macedonia, you should stay on at Ephesus to instruct certain men not to teach false doctrines. He gave him a big job. That's why later on he says, hey, don't let anyone look down on you in your youth. Right? He also says, hey, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of love. What is it? Love, sound mind, and power. That's the one. See? And Power. <laughs> Or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship of God's work, which is by faith. He says, Timothy, this is verse 18 of, of chapter 1. Timothy, my child. I love this, you guys. Timothy, this is what a church should be. We should hear this from our churches. Elders, leaders, or members. It doesn't matter. Don't always look to the elders and, and leaders and pastors, by the way for every little thing you need. Sometimes it comes from members. That's why we're, we're one body, but we're many members. And that's why God, uh, the Holy Spirit, distributed those gifts just as he determined. Because you never know where your encouragement or your equipping might come from. It might not come from me. It might, but it might not. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, that was a side note. Look what he says. My, uh, Timothy, my child, I encourage you with this command in keeping with the previous prophecies about you. So that by them you might Fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and thereby shipwrecked their faith. He says, I entrust you with this command. In other words, I'm, I'm entrusting the church of Ephesus. And you have to realize this is one of Paul's best churches. And he entrusted it to his best disciple. One that received encouragement. One that was teachable. And he says, I want you to take this thing and fight the good fight of faith. My question to you on this one, are you fighting the good fight? Are you fighting the good fight? Like, what, what does this look like here in context? It's someone that is understanding, operating in, and doing something in their gifting. They're serving. They are not just standing around with... Uh, with a half-hearted heart towards these things that we talked about, building up the body. You're not someone that's just going to work, works of ministry, whatever. I got soccer next weekend. You guys hear what I'm saying? Not that you throw everything else away. Go do your ballet. It's no big deal. But are you fighting the good faith? Because you know what? When, when, When God designed us and he made you and formed you in your mother's womb, his primary thoughts for you weren't your extracurricular activities. It was a design for the body of Christ to be in it, to be transformed in it, to be furnished by it so that the Holy Spirit would have somewhere to sit in your life. And I tell you what, when the Holy Spirit has a place to sit in your life and in your house, your your life looks a lot different. And I said it before about myself and I really believe this. If you were someone That isn't fighting the good fight. You're not thinking about these things. It's just not on your radar. My gifts, I don't know. Never, no way, I don't know. Don't really care. Can I tell you? Seek those things out. Figure it out. Like walk, begin asking God because you will never be more fulfilled than when you were functioning in the role that God designed you to in the body of Christ. Well, Tony, you're just saying that because you're a pastor. Yes, but I believed it be- way before I was ever a pastor. I told you the story before I was even a believer. Guess you hear what I'm saying? Let's stand.